Amen to that. So one of the... Need a resurrection for my iPad here. Um, Ten seconds, please. Also for Doug Bardock. One of the first witnesses was a man named John. He literally ran to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning, walked in the cave, saw Jesus' death clothes folded up and lying in the corner, and believed. He did not fully comprehend what it meant. And for the next decades and decades of his life, and early Christian history tells us that John lived to be a very, very old man, he got to live into the importance and the significance and the transformation and the depth of what happened to his rabbi, his friend, his master, his Lord, his Savior, his Redeemer, his Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, on that Sunday morning. Later in life, John was imprisoned by the Roman Empire as an old man. We know exactly where he was in prison. Um, it's an island called Patmos uh, in the Aegean Sea. It looks like a lovely place for a vacation, by the way. Uh, if you've ever known someone who went on a cruise of the Greek Isles, this is indeed one of the Greek Isles. Here's one of the things about Mediterranean living that no one tells you, however. Like, it's, spring is early and lovely. Summer is long and beautiful. Fall comes late. But in the winter, like, it doesn't freeze like here in Chicago. But if you don't have heat or hot water and pretty much nobody in that part of the world even to this day have a sister who lives in a city in turkey she can see the island of patmos from her four-story apartment and even people from sweden who come to turkey in the winter are like i've never been this cold in my entire life because there's not central heat there's not trustworthy warm water and all you do for the months where it hovers between like 37 and 51 is just put on as many clothes as possible and pray for spring to come. John was stuck in a cave on this island. And while he was there, he received a vision from the Lord. If you've ever visited a prison, um, if you've ever talked to somebody who's been a prisoner, Time flows and moves so very differently behind bars or when you're incarcerated. It sometimes moves along very quickly. Most often, it slows down and stretches out because one day is alarmingly like the next. Sometimes those of us who are out here in the free world, like we like to do things like hunting or quilting or golfing or running or playing music um, in order to like get in the zone or give ourselves over to that kind of like free flow of the sense of time. But if you are incarcerated, like time folds in over itself and moves and passes in a very strange way. And in this in prison, strange flow of time, this old man, one of Jesus' disciples, John, receives a vision, a series of visions, and words directly from the risen Jesus, including letters to seven of the first Christian churches, hence our Sunday school classes that are coming up. Given John's imprisonment, it maybe is not surprising 
the mysterious way that time and the future are portrayed in this final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. By the way, oftentimes North American Christians, we call it revelations. It's just one big revelation. And here's the, here's the revelation. Jesus wins. Like you don't need more than one revelation. Like if that's the big revelation, <laughs> Jesus wins in the end. That's what this book, for as many of the strange details as there are, that's what this book is all about. Here's how it begins. It is a letter. John begins quite politely. I'm John, and I'm writing to the seven churches in the province of Asia. 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire, the province of Asia was roughly equivalent to a big chunk of the modern country of Turkey. I think there's a map that will come up here. That's the western part of Turkey. Each of these cities that is named and pinpointed on the map receives a short letter from Jesus himself. Here's how John starts the revelation. Grace and peace to you, and if you would read this line with me, from the one who is and who was and who is to come. I'm going to pause here for one moment. The first words that John writes for all the trouble and chaos and color and destruction that are going to be in this revelation, grace and peace are meant to be the overall effect for all of us who are hearing or receiving this revelation. And from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Some amazing self-identification coming from God. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. And everybody says, amen. Might be thinking at this point, like, wow, this is going to be an amazing book. This is going to be amazing revelation. Bring it on. The very next lines, tamp down our enthusiasm. Look, John is quoting prophets now. Look, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth, again quoting the prophets, will mourn because of him. And everybody says, so shall it be. Amen. Wait a minute. There's going to be some dark times in this revelation. Lest we forget who is speaking or whose hands we rest in, God self-identifies again. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is an amazing picture of Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, all the presidents and princes and prime ministers that have come before and after. Jesus is identifying himself as the victor over death, the conqueror the champion of the great battle for the soul of the world and over the power of darkness 
And during the six-week season of Easter, we will gather, Lord willing, in the throne room of heaven to listen and look at what is going on there and let our worship rise up accordingly. God keeps giving us in this book an amazing vision, revelation, picture of who he is. For this morning, I want to dwell with you on this seemingly simple but profound phrase that God says, I am the one who is and who was and who is to come. God is the God of your past, your present, and your future. God is the God of our, the church, the planet, the species, the universe. God is the God of our together collective past and present and future. All of it was created by him. All of it belongs to him. All of it is ruled over by him. And Lord willing, this is why we can have some semblance of faith and trust and hope and even happiness and joy in this lifetime because every atom of life is touched by the resurrection and by Jesus' victory. Like, that blows my mind. Because quite frankly, I sometimes have a hard time seeing just past the edge of my own shadow. God is the God of the past, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Before you were, before you were in your mother's womb, God was there. Before there were people, before there were cats or kangaroos or whales, before there were dinosaurs, children, God was there. Before there was an earth, before there were stars, before there were galaxies, before there was one atom of matter in the material universe, God was there all the time, all the space, all the stuff. It is only here because God spoke it into being out of generous love. He's been the God of every person you've ever seen. Every person you've ever laid eyes on, your mom and your dad, whether you knew them or not, your grandparents, those that came a thousand generations before them. He's the God of every person in the Bible and every person that lived before there was a Bible. One of the ways that God likes to describe himself is that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're all in the past, right? I mean, Abraham lived over 2,000 years ago. If you've ever been to Sunday school, I mean, at the very beginning of the Bible, God calls this man Abraham from the land of the Chaldeans. We would call it modern-day Iraq. And God says to him, go to the land I will show you. I'm going to make you a blessing to the whole wide world. And God did it. And then God was the God to his son Isaac, who at one point in his life was literally tied down to an altar about to be a human sacrifice when God provided an innocent lamb to take Isaac's place. God's the God of that guy too. Isaac had a son named Jacob. He was a deceiver, 
He wrestled with God. I really personally relate a lot to Jacob. And despite all of his issues and deception and problems, God was faithful to that guy too. God loves to say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. On one occasion, Jesus himself was being asked about the resurrection. And Jesus quoted the second book in the Bible, the book of Exodus, and said to those who are questioning him, don't you remember that God said to you, meaning like the Jewish people who received the book of Exodus, quote, I am, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Yes, God is the one who was. He is the God of our past, but he is also the God of the living, of the eternal right now. And for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, on the one hand, like their bones are in some tomb that nobody knows where it is. They're not walking around, but they are still alive at this very moment in the presence of God because God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And if you are beloved by God and received from, like this life is not all there is. There is so much more than this. God is the God of the present, right now. It's awesome to see what happened in the days immediately following Easter 2,000 years ago in that present moment that the risen Jesus showed up for each of his disciples in these custom-fit ways to give them what they need. It is amazing to me that Jesus um, is concerned for us all the way along for our bodies and souls, right? Did you ever notice Jesus healed a lot of people's bodies, but the Bible never quotes him as saying like, you know, believe me and receive me and like it'll be okay for your spirit in eternity? Like that's true, but Jesus spent a lot of time healing people's bodies because he knows that our body and our spirit like are totally enmeshed. The resurrection is coming. Yes, for our eternal God-giving spirit is also coming for what is currently these shabby bodies of ours. And Jesus, when he showed up, didn't just talk about spiritual disembodied things. He himself showed up in the flesh to have conversations in the flesh. On one occasion, he made his disciples breakfast so that they could eat together. He asked Thomas, who was doubting, to literally put his hands in his wounds so that he could transcend his doubts and believe on the Opposite side of the continuum, one of his disciples, Mary Magdalene, wanted to grab on and hold on to him after he had come back from the dead. And Jesus' word to her was like, don't hang on to me because it's not going to be this way forever. And Mary, you need to learn how to walk when I'm not here. So don't cling on to me. Jesus is so amazing. Here in 2022, Jesus is doing similar things for whoever would walk with him. Jesus wants in his resurrected form to show up in your life and help you forward. This may seem like a superficial example, but this is what came to mind this week. Two weeks ago, there was a golf tournament called the Masters. Uh, don't usually give golf examples in church, but do you recognize this guy on the screen right now? Um, he kind of looks like an average Joe kind of guy. In fact, his name is Scotty. Uh, for the last two months, he has been the number one golfer in the world. Not Tiger Woods, not any other famous golfer. This guy from Texas named Scotty. And the Masters is probably the most important, most famous golf tournament in the world. 
this guy Scotty was leading and he woke up on the last morning of the golf tournament. He said this in his post-victory interview, by the way. He wakes up on Sunday morning and he says to his wife, Meredith, they're a young couple, like 24, 25 years old. Meredith, I don't think I'm ready for this. I'm so anxious. And then in this new news conference, he says, I broke down and started crying like a small child. Like, this is quite an admission. Can you imagine an NFL player or like an NBA champion saying this like immediately after they won? Like, props to this guy for being like very real. His wife, these, these, these are Christian young people. His wife says this to him. Who are you to say you aren't ready for this? Who are we to say that we know what's best for our lives right now? Don't we talk about how God is in control and how the Lord is leading us? And if today is your time, then it's your time. So just go out and play. And then they had breakfast and his feeling of like overwhelm and anxiety left him. And he went out and this like average bro from Texas is now like the number one golfer in the world by leaps and bounds. Wouldn't it be great if in your moment of anxiety and distress, like a friend or a family member put their arm around you and gave you that talk? I mean, I'm never going to win like a major golf tournament, but there's things I get nervous about. And what I know for me is that when I give up control and invite the risen power of Jesus to lead my thoughts, to provide the words, to help me have the forgiveness in my heart to let something go, like, that's when good things happen. He did it for Thomas. Jesus did. Did it for Mary Magdalene. Did it for Scotty Scheffler. He's doing it for me. Might he be able to do something for you with his resurrection power? God is also the God of our future. Maybe it's because the book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible. Maybe it's because it has these bizarre and mysteriously colorful scenes about the last days of the world. But usually Christians' approach to the book of Revelation is to be curious about when are these crazy things going to happen? What do all the symbols mean? Who are these characters? We are not going to spend much time in Sunday morning worship like trying to figure all that out. Um, also, if you've not read the Chris book of Revelation with some Christians before, um, we have a long habit, especially in the last 150 years or so, of kind of different interpretations and debating what's going to happen, especially with the end of the world, something called the millennium or the last thousand years. There's a whole group of Christians who are premillennialists, meaning that like all the trouble is going to come before Jesus comes back in the millennium. Some who are postmillennialists, some who are amillennialists not even going to define these things. I just want to say that, like, in the end, Jesus wins. <laughs> okay? That is the point of the revelation. Not to know all the details, not so that you can prepare for what's coming next year, not to say that Russia or anybody, you know, is a particular actor in the book of Revelation. The big idea is that 
Jesus has already won the great battle on the cross and the empty grave. And though there are the powers of evil still battling in little skirmishes all over the place, they don't stand a chance because Jesus has already won and he is coming back soon to do the last final mop-up and make everything healed and whole. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And as a proud American and as a person who loves this country, I say, bring it on, because I can't wait for a better country. I love my homeland but I can't wait for my real homeland. I love my family, I love my friends, but compared to what's going on in that country, this is a sad shadow of what Jesus is going to provide for us. Lord, haste the day. Um, We read our kids' uh, series of book called the Narnia Chronicles. They've been made into movies. The book that nobody reads is the seventh and final book called The Last Battle. I will say this about the end of the world. I think there's a beautiful portrayal of what happens at the end. Um, There's a door through which everyone in this fictional world walks walks through at the end of time. And there's a lion just beyond the door in this world. His name is Aslan represents the Messiah, the Christ, the ruler. And one of two things happens when everyone who was ever born walks through the threshold of this door. I'm not going to walk on that. So they walk through and they experience the presence of the living Savior. And one of two things happens. Either in that moment they find the absolute desire of their heart whether they knew he was the desire of their heart all along or not, either irresistibly attracted to that presence, or sadly, there are some who are irresistibly repelled and they sprint off into the shadow of that great lion. That is the end that Revelation portrays, that Jesus wins that his living presence is the thing that all of us, when we move out from this life into real life, that is the thing that we are going to encounter, the true, overwhelming, in my opinion, beautiful, irresistible, attractive, lovely, glorious, life-giving, joyful presence of the Lord. And each of us, beyond our conscious thought, it will be too late for decisions of the will. We will be instinctually either absolutely drawn to the thing that we have wanted more than anything all along, or we will run screaming in the opposite direction because we recognize that we cannot have control of our life if that presence is there with us. I hope to be there with you and enjoy days one better than the other. God is the God who is and who was and who is to come. The God of our past, the God of our present and our future. 
Can you recall just a half hour ago the words that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago into the chaos of his disciples' lives? He said them twice, two, two Sundays in a row. Peace be with you. That's why we end almost every service here with somebody saying, may the peace of Christ go with you. It's because what Jesus offered to troubled people in a post-resurrection world. Probably each one of us sitting here today has some baggage thinking about the future, has some baggage right now in the present, or is still carrying some baggage from the past. Probably most of us have baggage on all three fronts. Okay? But I, I know because we're human beings, you at least have some significant baggage in one of those frames, past, present, or future. Let me conclude by saying this. If you are worried about your future and how things are going to turn out for you personally, politically, globally, I invite you to hear the words of Christ saying, peace be with you all. And to trust that the God who breathed this world into existence still holds it in his good and loving hands. And in the end, it shall all be well. It will be. Perhaps in your life right now, you have doubts about yourself. Am I enough? Am I going to make it? Am I doing the right thing? Did I screw my life up when I decided to go to this college? The answer to all of our questions in the right here and right now is that we might not be enough, but Jesus is enough. And that guy says, my peace I give you. And if you are carrying around the spirit of Jesus in your heart, you are more than enough because he has taken up residence in you and all will be well. You may be carrying around some significant regret or resentment from the past. Regret is stuff that you did wrong and you know you did it wrong. Resentment is stuff that happened to you or somebody else did to you and you keep reliving it and feeling it again. And over both our regrets and our resentments, Jesus would speak the same word, peace to you. All the wrong, all the sin, all the horrible things that have been said and done, all the abuse, all the trouble that has been heaped into this once good creation, I'm going to recycle and redeem and change with my peace. Jesus was wounded and then raised. He was a human. Raised the divine conquering Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is able to come in intimate, quiet conversations to his disciples. And he is the cosmic judge who is going to say peace over every atom and molecule and man, woman, boy, girl, dinosaur, kangaroo, everything, everything. That's the revelation. Amen. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we worship you today as the one who is and who was and who is to come.
Thank you for coming near to us in Jesus in the humility and the tenderness that we see him approach in the Gospels and for coming to us in the blinding light and power that we see in the book of Revelation. God, we are yours. Past, present, future, we belong to you. We worship you. Amen.